Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Christopher I. Phil, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Ian Collis, John Dulong, Josias Melendez, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Poolside123, and Teresa. Become a patron for us today at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since there's no place to go, we're watching Arthur on a Friday. Man, you and it's snowing outside. You are in a good mood. You're uh, singing us a little bit of a little bit of a crooner special here, aren't you? Well. I got my winter tires put on yesterday. <laughs> Call me Nostradamus because I didn't peek at the weather once. I had no idea uh, that today was going to be as tumultuous weather-wise as it was. I just had an inkling. You know how they say you can feel it in your bones. I um, I did the same thing too, except mine. I got mine in on Tuesday, and then I found nice. out, I found out that one of them was flat. So on Wednesday, I had oh. to take one off, put the spare on, put. Air in that, da, 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 this whole rigmarole. But I'm glad that I went through all of that because, yes, now I have my winter tires on and we are in the middle of what is now, I believe, turning into ice pellets, but a huge snowstorm that has waylaid traffic here in Atlantic Canada oh and I believe on the Grace. east coast of the United States as well. We, uh, you know, people around here are pretty, I would say, almost infamous. Uh, for being used to the harsh weather conditions and heavy snowfall and stuff like this. But when it happens this early in November, the problem is a lot of people don't have their winter tires put on. And getting into school this morning, it was sheer chaos. It was like the world was coming to an end. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that you were as prepared as I was, Will. Yes, indeed. Uh, you can't be too careful in Atlantic Canada. And also shout out to uh, everybody, as I said, on the East Coast of the United States. I'm to understand it's no picnic over there as well. I was noticing that uh, Giant Bomb's Vinny Caravella on Twitter was uh, oh, in a particular I saw that as situation. well. Uh, well, yes, welcome to Elwood City Limits. This is the perfect thing to do, as Lucas said, when it's uh, when the weather outside is the way it is, whether it's ice pellets, rain, or snow. Just uh, curl up with some Arthur and have yourself a good time, and then curl up with, with us on your podcast feed, and we'll talk That's about right. the episode of Arthur. Mm. Bust up the rum and eggnog. Get the old Yule log. Mm. Um, we're taking a trip to Elwood City Limits. Rum and eggnog. That sounds good. Might have to get that later. Well, we speaking of Vinny Caravella, the Giant Beast cast, we actually have something uh, that is similar to what they offer. In fact, Lucas, this is going to be a first for us. Uh, so uh, pick it up if you follow me. It's time for our first ever <laughs> Corrections. corrections. <laughs> yeah it's true i i wasn't sure if you were gonna do the live foley work yeah i don't know if i could get that exact i'd have to get that exact trumpet noise and i don't know if i could find it but we yeah we do actually have a correction that i wanted to start with here from a f- couple of episodes ago this comes from a tumblr user by the name of huge drawing nerd who sent us this uh, uh hugh hdn hdn represent hdn is up in our business but still i i kind of like this uh so hdn huge drawing nerd says mrs perizo is not a bear or whatever else will said so it's a correction for me she's an aardvark so fair enough 
Also, uh, that wasn't the landlord. That was the janitor. You see the landlord. This is from Francine's building from a couple of episodes ago. Francine goes to war. You see the landlord in another episode where Arthur and Francine make a bet to see who can use less water, and neither the landlord or the janitor appear again. The only time Mrs. Perizzo gets another line is when she hands out prunes on Halloween in a special. Yikes. I, I... All the like goodwill Mrs. Perizzo earned in her episode uh, has now been washed away with that information. Unfortunately, uh, uh, thank you and goodbye. Thank you next, Mrs. Perizzo. Uh, <laughs> so it was fun while it lasted. And thank you, huge drawing nerd, for the correction. We've, we got to make that little reference. We also don't worry. That's what's great about our newly our new segment, throwaway character of a week of the week. There's always a new one. <laughs> so we could put Mrs. Perizzo in the past. We could put the janitor of Francine's building in the past. Because once again this week, we have a brand new throwaway character of the week. Ooh, I'm interested to see who it is. I mean, and then and then when we look back on people like the janitor in Francine's building and say, I'm so effing grateful for my ex. <laughs> Definitely. So Arthur's uncle, same. <laughs> Uh, one taught me patience. One taught me. What, what, what? <laughs> yeah, someone's got to do that meme, but it's like Arthur's uncle, the janitor, and like Toady, and it's like <laughs> one taught me paid, one taught me patience. <laughs> Please go ahead. What's uh, what's your, what's your address there on Twitter? Oh, it's Lucas underscore Mancini. So feel free, everybody, and feel free to get at us uh, by our email. That's ElwoodCityLimits at gmail dot com. To this week, we have one. Uh, from Judy T. And Judy says, Hey again, was watching Goosebumps, uh, classic Canadian show Goosebumps from the 90s. Found an episode with Michael Kalos, a.k.a. the vo- the original voice of DW. It was, what? Yeah. It was super weird because I had it on the background and kept hearing DW's voice. Like he literally sounds like DW in the episode, which I think is because production for Goosebumps and Arthur was happening around the same time. I'm, I'm sure you're right, Judy. The, Same time and in Canada. The episode is One Day at Horrorland, parts one and two. If anyone's interested in watching no it, way. it's still on Netflix until the 19th of November, at least for Americans. I don't know if Goosebumps is on Netflix Canada. I feel It used to be. I, I'm not sure if it is anymore. I will say that hor- the Horrorland episodes of Goosebumps are infamous. They're probably some of the most well-known Goosebumps episodes and books. Yeah, and that's one of the ones that ends with like a not-so-child-friendly cliffhanger. Like they, like they're they're in mortal danger. Oh, look <laughs> at that! Goosebumps, the show is on Canadian Netflix. Ooh, is Are You Afraid of the Dark still on Canadian Netflix? Was it ever? Oh yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. Okay, uh, corroborating the Ryan Gosling classic. I'm afraid not. No. Oh, unfortunate, unfortunate. Well, we still have Goosebumps, which is probably the, in all honesty, the better of the two. Uh, even though they're both of questionable quality. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I I don't really have as much of a memory for this. I definitely watched more Goosebumps as a kid. I think I just found it more interesting. But I I feel like there are some people who would definitely stand up for Are You Afraid of the Dark more so in terms of... It really it varies so much episode by episode. There's such rough episodes of both. Oh, yeah. Like the like the whole thing like even even a good goosebumps or good are you afraid of the dark episode is still like uh, like I don't know about this. Uh, the books are very good though. Yeah, the grading on and the I, I haven't seen the Jack Black films either. The first one is good. Um, I it's it's a totally 
pretty good family film. I I think I would give that a a single a single thumbs up. It's totally fine if you're watching it with like younger kids or with your family. It's like not too scary and it's not too like awful. It's 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 okay. So yeah, that's a little uh, for that for you. I don't know about uh, there's that similar looking movie that came out recently, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. What? Heard that was okay. It's all it's also like based off of like a children's horror novel directed by Eli Roth actually. Wait, what? Yeah, really. And it's like Jack <laughs> from it's like Jack- from the studio that brought you Green Inferno comes <laughs> and uh, the house with a clock in its walls and Jack Black stars in it too. So it kind of huh. has sort of that Goosebumps movie flavor. I don't know, dude. I'll have I, to, I, I'll I, have to I check think, it out. I think I heard middling to pretty good reviews for it. So. If you've seen that movie, uh, let us know, I guess. And from Canadian children's television, we're going to be moving to American children's. Well, well, sort of. Uh, Arthur has kind of dual citizenship in that sense. But I'd say that since the uh, reality of Arthur takes place in the United States, Mary Moo Cow definitely counts as an American endeavor, which is uh, what we're going to be talking about big time today. The Last of Mary Moo Cow, this one's called. Um this is unquestionably the most focus that Mary Mukow has gotten so far in this. Did you have any expectations for what this was kind of going to be about? No, this is one of those episodes where I like from both of these episodes, I only remembered a single moment from both of these episodes. So I was going into these ones mostly blind, mm. um, but you can already tell this episode piques your interest just with the title card. The last of Mary Mukow uh, it's like, what could that conceivably mean? It's a real death to smoochy type imagery starts like filling your head. So uh, I was already curious. If there was somebody on this podcast who was going to make a death to smoochy reference, I would have bet $10 that it would have been me before you. <laughs> it just seems more... One time I tried to look... I At some point in my life, I made it my mission to watch every movie that Ed Norton's ever been in. Oh, and so that's how I came across Death to Smoochie. An admirable, uh, an admirable uh, endeavor. Did you did you manage to do it? I think so. Uh, Ed Norton's in a lot of weird movies that aren't that good, but I really, really do like his good movies. So I, I think I did do it because he's not in that many. So yeah, he's one of my he's one of my faves. I remember I was really upset when they recast him after uh, the Incredible Hulk in the Marvel movies, but I think it was mm. for the better. I think Mark Ruffalo does better. In that role. Okay, so we start off here. Arthur's uh, got a ruse going on. He's changing all all the clocks to 4 o'clock in the house. He's changing all the manual clocks in the house to 4 o'clock, by the way. Arthur's using what I like to call the Patty Murphy strat, where if you're not familiar with the Great Big Sea song, The Night That Patty Murphy Died... Uh, all of Patty Murphy's friends, when they're getting drunk to commemorate uh, their close friend's untimely demise, uh, they all go over to his poor widowed wife's house and change all the clocks so that when it's quarter after, I think it's a quarter after three or quarter after four, it's like an, at an ungodly hour that they're all drinking and destroying this woman's house. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Murphy couldn't tell the time because they changed all the clocks and they argued it was nine. Um, <laughs> and so Arthur's essentially doing that. But in order to trick DW into thinking it's not time for uh, Mary Moo Cow. Well, that's. Because she always watches it at 3.30. Well, that's how they show their respect for Mary Moo Cow. That's how they show their <laughs> honor and their pride. I was, I was, I was going to that and I was like, is this going to work in terms of the amount of syllables? Mary Moo Cow and Patty Murphy, same amount of syllables. 
yeah, so Arthur is changing all the clocks to 4 o'clock because 3.30 is normally DW's TV time uh, when she watches Mary Moo Cow, but Arthur also has Dark Bunny that he wants to watch at the same time. We get a lot of Dark Bunny in this episode, too. But I knew, I figured that this wasn't going to work, and it actually doesn't for the reason I thought so, is because DW doesn't know how to read clocks. Yeah, DW says, lucky for me, I can't tell time, and just turns on the TV to check anyway, and then learns that Arthur changed all the clocks, which she complains to her mom about. And uh, Arthur kind of in this cold open is talking about how DW is obsessed with Mary Moo Cow and always has to watch it every day. And we get a couple of cutaways where DW is like doing various things like in a sandbox or at the grocery store with her mom. Uh, And it's just like, it's like, oh, no, it's 3.30. Mary Moo Cow is on. And it gave me uh, clear flashbacks to uh, the mid the late 90s when 4.30 came around and me and my friends had to stop doing what we were doing and run home because Pokemon was on. I was just going to say my that show for me was also Pokemon. It was Pokemon at 4.30 and then on Fridays at I think 5 or something um, there was uh, Transformers. I did that from Transformers Armada into Transformers Energon. I watched the entirety of both of those shows runs in linear order as each new episode came out each Friday. I remember I would I, I, I have vivid memories of sprinting from a friend's house in order to make it home to watch Transformers. But also, Pokemon was a similar show like that for me where I was always like anticipating when it would come on. There are still a few times that I remember uh, specifically for what time a show came on. It's like Pokemon was 4.30, uh, Scooby-Doo was on Teletoon at 6 o'clock, and Dragon Ball Z was on YTV at 9 and 9.30, back-to-back episodes. That's right. Naruto wouldn't come on YTV until like 11. You had to Damn. stay up late to watch Naruto. Um, there's a part in these cutaways where DW, she sprints out of the sandbox. She's running from places to go catch her show. There's a part where there's a TV repair duck in Arthur's house fixing their TV. Um, and DW is like, you're taking too long. It's uh, 3.30. And she fixes the TV quicker than the duck, which is like, so DW is like a TV repair savant? I guess, but this also made me think of like, hey, remember T- when TV repair was like a viable career option? That also had me thinking about this. Like nowadays, if you TV breaks, you just buy a new one. Pretty much, or like there there isn't a dedicated repair service to it. It's like v- it's it's like a red letter media and VCR repair. That's right, lightning fast. Uh, the actual episode starts off when DW finds out that Mary Mukow is going to be having a live appearance at the Mill Creek Mall at Elwood City. It starts off with, like, everybody else in the house doing something different, and then we get what's got to be the highest-pitched scream that we've ever gotten from DW. It's a, like, it's a proper little girl squeal. There's a narrative bookend in here where uh, when we see after DW screams, she's sort of on the ground with the, the popcorn spilled out of her lap. Uh, remember that yeah. image for later on. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> See, you, see you're, you're, you're quicker to, ca- to catch these visual cues than I am. Um, I do- <laughs> so DW is like on the ground with her popcorn and just says, she's coming as everybody runs in. I love this where it's like Mary Moo Cow has to set up for the, um, for the, I get, uh, the recorded read of where she's going to be. But she doesn't say them herself. So basically, she's like, and you can see me at, and the video freezes, and just a, a man's voice just goes, Thursday at the Mill Creek Mall in Elwood City, 8 <laughs> o'clock. And I thought that was really funny. 
there's a lot of like public access TV humor in this episode, which I always appreciate. And I love it when, especially considering that uh, Arthur is put on by PBS. I love it when they get like self-referential like that. Like Mary Mukow is obviously a, uh, at the time it would have been a Barney stand in. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of poking fun at that genre of kids television. Uh, and they do a really good job of it. I and guess the, now the, the, the equivalent would be like, the only time I hear of like kids show live appearances, it's usually the Paw Patrol gang, like come see the Paw Patrol gang at chapters and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, my niece uh, went recently went to go see the Wiggles when they were in town. Oh, I wonder if the Wiggles are like the blue man group where there's not just one. There's like all these like different sets of Wiggles that are on tours. Uh, or there's just one Wiggles that goes everywhere. I think it might just be the one, but that's a good question. If they, if there were more than one set of Wiggles, I certainly couldn't tell you. I've never seen. I know they switch up the roster. Like there's a female Wiggle now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they still have that guy that was always that had narcolepsy. Second episode of Elwood City Movements in a row where we talk about narco- narcolepsy. But do you remember that one Wiggle? He was always falling asleep. Wait, did he had shoot narcolepsy? Yeah, the purple one. I think. He was always he was the weird one and he was always falling asleep. Okay, I've I, I've I've not seen uh, minute one of the Wiggles. D- so DW has this imagination that she's gonna meet Mary Mukau and they're gonna become best friends and she's her expectations are sky high. I loved how so in DW's imagination, Mary Mukau like takes a shine to her. They're dancing together and then they like Mary Mukau just takes her to her. Um, the barn, barn. The, the barn that she lives on. I love how in DW's imagination, Mary Mukau is still a costume. Like she looks the same as she I... is on the, on the TV, but you'd think that maybe she'd be imagining Mary Mukau as like a real cow, but you could still see like the flaps, the where seams. The, the seams of the, where the mask goes on and where it's clearly a costume. So I found that was kind of interesting. I've always thought an underrated aspect of the Mary Mukau character are the cat puppets. Yeah that are very much like Harry Potter puppet pal style. Like you can see the wrists manipulate, manipulating the kitty puppets. Yeah. Good. Yes. I remember, I remember us talking about this in the cold open where like Mary Mukau is in Arthur's room. Uh, and, and you were talking about that too. Uh, so DW is very excited to go and, uh, she's like picking out different dresses, uh, that she could potentially wear if she goes to live with Mary Mukau. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately they go all the way to the mall and then they are met by a couple of sobbing children and they find out that the Mary Mukau appearance has been canceled. It's funny the way I was thinking about this. I was like, I, I was trying to, cause again, I was pretty much in the dark with this episode. I wasn't entirely sure where it was going. And so in my mind, I was wondering if like the Mary Mukau facsimile was going to be like a dude with like five o'clock shadow with Mary Mukau's like head off. And he's like smoking and he's like, Hey kids, it's me, Mary Mukau. And that's why the kids were crying. Cause they came to the realization that Mary Mukau wasn't real. Oh yeah. That's where I kind of thought this was going. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, that's crazy if that's what happens. But no, it's just that it's canceled. No, actually they're pretty good at keeping the Mary Mukau kayfabe in this episode i gotta say uh the cow fabe um so dw unfortunately comes back she hasn't seen mary mukau arthur and buster are joyous when dw is going to the live appearance because that means that they'll get to watch dark bunny and we do get a little bit more of dark bunny as they are watching it uh and it's like in small visual joke in this dark bunny segment because we get to see sort of dark buddy's rogues gallery and we see definitely like it's it's like okay that guy looks like the joker 
but an Arthur character. Okay, this person kind of looks like Catwoman, but an Arthur character. And then we get, like, the Arthur version of the Riddler, but instead of a question mark on his chest, he has, like, the email at symbol. Does he? And I'm like, what? Yes! I I, I, I had to go back and pause this, because I was like, wait a minute. Like, what is this guy's power? Like, he sends you spam? Like, what is up with email, man? He harasses you on Twitter. Maybe he's, like, way into, like, cryptocurrency now, and he, you know, he's like, I will steal the world's Bitcoin. This is, yeah, I'm looking at this, because I definitely recognize the Joker rats, and, okay, I see the Catwoman one, and let me see this at symbol. It's coming up. Oh, there it is! Oh, my gosh, look at that! <laughs> I can't believe I didn't catch on to that. That's really funny. Uh, so, yeah. I will send you jib-jab animations I created <laughs> on my office email account. I just invested a hundred million dollars into TikTok. <laughs> hey, that's a, as far as I'm concerned, that's a solid investment. TikTok's coming up, baby. I'm big on TikTok. Are you are you on TikTok? Oh, I am so on TikTok. It's filled the void that Vine has left in my life. Oh, man. There's a giant. I never realized how much a giant Vine-sized hole there was in my heart because we look up. I look up Vine compilations pretty much every time I'm at a party and people have like a Chromecast and they don't know what to put on. I'll just throw out a Vine compilation. Yeah. But the thing you forget about Vine compilations is it's kind of like a curated just one after the other of all the good Vines. Yeah. And there's something that you miss from when Vine was around. There'd be one vine that became really popular, and then the rest of your timeline would be other vines referencing that vine for, like, the day until they moved on to the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And so now TikTok has brought that back, and it's like, wow, I never knew going to the washroom could be so entertaining because I just whip out the TikTok and watch a couple <laughs> videos real quick. I'm tempted, i got to be honest with you, because I also, I've, I shamelessly, I miss vines so much. And I and half of my YouTube. Let me tell you something. Once you get that algorithm going, because at first it just serves you up whatever, but it, it can really tell like which ones you watch the full of, which ones you hit like on, and like which ones you scroll past. And so the algorithm starts really curating the TikToks to the things you find funny. Uh, let me tell you something. TikTok. Shouts out to TikTok. TikTok is is doing me well. I love it. So the so the thing that's holding me back from it is I I feel like it kind of has a reputation of like. Um, it, 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 cringe content. Yes, that. But also, like, it, it's kind of it kind of seems like it's aimed for a bit of a younger audience. And I feel like somebody my age who's on TikTok is like, "What is this old guy doing here with all these with all these like young, younger kids?" And I'm like, I don't want to seem like a big bearded creepo. Well, so I, I'll say this about that: I would never post a TikTok myself. I'm purely ah. going in as an observer. Uh, but I, I, you know what? We're getting deep into the psyche here, but a part of me does feel like I, I'm in on some forbidden young people knowledge because, like, all of the jokes, it's here's this lets you know about like what kind of audience is on TikTok right now. Right. It's like they reference um, Minecraft on TikTok as like a punchline. Oh yeah, probably the way we would wa- reference like Halo One. Yeah, like oh, remember when we were kids and we played Minecraft all the time? It's like, oh, oh, yeah, like when I was 16. Like, so they're referencing Minecraft as this, like, nostalgia thing about when they were really, really little, but these are, like, adults. Uh, but I find it fascinating. And, again, this is my sort of – this is my, you know, holy grail to keep me young uh, <laughs> is to just know what the Zoomers are talking about. And that's – it's a rich vein for that, let me tell you. Well, I think I – I think – you saying that, and of course referencing my dearly departed Vine, I think maybe I'm going to have to 
dip my toe in here and d- d- <laughs> probably not maybe not into content but maybe i'll have to give it a whirl based on your suggestion uh i i i guess there's no reason to be afraid of it i shouldn't be afraid of the creeping onset towards old age that i'm currently embroiled in anyway uh <laughs> where where the heck were we uh, uh so uh, r- dw comes back what's that dw comes back yep. and she swipes the popcorn she does. and turns on mary mukau she and she turns it over to mary mukau she is she's pissed i mean rightly so but then as she watches the episode of mary mukau uh, Mary Mu- Mary Mukau says it's a very special episode because it's our last episode. Andy W is kind of confused, and oh my Ar- gosh. Arthur- this whole moment is so funny. The way it's played, like there's like three aspects to this that are like hilarious. There's one. DW is kind of confused about what's going on. Two, it's the enthusiasm which Mary Mukau and her like quartet of children uh, say, like it's the last episode, L A S T, like enthusiastically as they would uh, deliver anything else on Mary Mukau. And then there's like Arthur's sheer enthusiasm and the way he's like rubbing it in. How happy he's like so delighted that Mary Mukau is coming to an end and DW's like slowly realizing what's going on and she's like bewildered. She's like, what? Mary Mukau? And Arthur's like, yeah, it's over. I found this like gut-bustingly funny. Arthur's a great antagonist uh, for DW, which is a r- rare kind of turnaround. But yeah, he's he just, he really gets on her case just like, Mary Mukau is history. <laughs> he's like so excited. <laughs> It's great. You're right. Um, and they even do the L A S T. That spells last. No more Mary Moo Cow. Yeah, Arthur and like Buster are like singing it as uh, DW runs out of the room, like distraught. And this made me think about how you never you never realize how hard it is to explain things that you and I. I mean, we've been watching TV for decades, so we know that exactly what it means like when a show's canceled or when it goes off the air but this is dw who's her it's, she's four years old it's her first experience with like a show getting canceled so it's kind of hard to explain it to her I'm just like why can't they make new episodes I'm like well there are reasons but can't really understand them at your age unfortunately yeah, Arthur's mom's explaining it to her and she's like every show gets canceled dw obviously Arthur's mom has never heard of the walking dead uh, She's never heard of but... Arthur either, as we... Uh... <laughs> That's true. Arthur, the... Wa- well, Arthur's a good show is the thing. Um... <laughs> oh, got him. We get uh, DW is like sort of just surfing through static, like channel three, four, five, static on every channel, and it's like a dream sequence. Um, she's in this sort of... Um... Oh, gosh, what's that painter's name where everything's droopy? Salvador Dali. Uh, yeah, she's in this, like, kind of Salvador Dali world where, like, the house is all warped, very German expressionist, as uh, uh, DW's yeah. walking around in her dream. She's playing outside, which is represented as, like, this horrible thing that you have to do at 3.30 instead of uh, watching Mary Mukau. In fact, I forgot about this amazing line that Arthur's dad has. It's, like, his only line in the whole episode where he's like, DW, just think about all the other fun things you could do now at 3.30. <laughs> It's a, to- it's a total parent line of just like, yeah, maybe now you can go outside or something, which is, of course, you, d- not exactly as fun as watching TV. Well, exactly. In DW's head, it's portrayed as this nightmare where, like, there's sad faces on the side posts. She's walking around. She gets a basketball. And the basketball immediately deflates and uh, talks to her and says, it's just not the same without Mary Moo Cow. And, the- and then her bike's talking, too. And they have, like, this really sad oboe music. <laughs> 
it's great. I'm I I'm, I love the good use of an oboe here and there, and I thought this was this was really well done. Uh, and before she goes to sleep, uh, before this dream sequence, DW is like calls. She's like, "Mom, Dad, you're gonna punish Arthur, right?" <laughs> great stuff. Um, so Arthur. Speed of great stuff. We get her to deduce to another favorite Arthur in canon show of mine, and that is Stock Market Today. So yeah, uh, DW, she is keeping her 3.30 time slot. I love this. Uh, Arthur walks in with a bowl of popcorn. He's ready to watch a Dark Bunny, but DW's like, no, it's still my TV time. Mom said I can keep this t- keep this time until I recover from my trauma. <laughs> and she's watching Stock Market Today, which is like hilarious. Like Hypothetically, like a show running down the stock market is... If you had to design in a lab, what would be the most boring television for a four-year-old? Uh, it would probably be that. Uh, and the fake stock, like, if you listen to what the uh, broadcaster is saying, it's the fake stock um, delivery is very funny as well. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it, it is really, like, what's the most boring thing we can think of? I remember, like, when my when I was younger and my parents would get, like, the Globe and Mail, and it's just, like, the most boring thing that it seemed in the world to me was report on business. Yeah, at least Mad Money was exciting because he would smash things. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's it's just very very much this. Um, I believe what animal would you, you say the presenter is? Rabbit? Mm, no, no, no. She's got the pointy ears. She's like a cat. I think. Okay, and she's just she's just presenting. Uh, hmm? longer than I remember. Now I'm going back. I don't know. Uh, sh- anyway, she's presenting the. Uh, it just stock news against like this ticker background and it's just yeah. as dry as possible. Uh, and DW is just watching it out of spite. Uh, and Nadine is like begging her to do something else because of how boring it is. Uh, but she gets a flash of inspiration from stock market today uh, through news about a petition. So she decides to draw up a petition to get people to sign to bring back Mary Mukau. So she gets some, uh, uh, some signatures from her preschool class because they can sign in finger paint. There's a great one where she has a table outside the house and she's like, save Mary Moo Cow five cents. And Arthur's like, you don't charge people to sign a petition. And then uh, DW's got a great line that's like, uh, adults only care about some, like when adults have to pay, they think something's important. Yeah, it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's also like in the in the culture we have today where it's like there's an online petition for everything. Imagine if one was like pay two dollars to protest uh, the Detective Pikachu trailer or something. Oh, okay. I forgot all about that. That was going to be our intro. Yeah. Snowstorm. This is the time. Let's get into it. Will. Elwood City Limits podcast is on hold. This is now the Detective Pikachu debate show. Uh, opening <laughs> arguments. Here's me. Detective Pikachu is my friend. I love him, and I want one. Uh, I don't care if he's making unfunny Deadpool jokes. I love him. Uh, he's fuzzy. Uh, I love that Jigglypuff is somehow covered with pig's skin, like thin layer of white pig <laughs> hair, and like... Pig, pig, pig skin. I love that Mr. Mime just looks like a weird CGI human man with no nose. I love that Psyduck looks high out of his tree. I love Detective... Okay, this is gonna... Whatever opinion you had of me so far, Will, this might be the thing that changes your opinion the most of me for the worst. I'm listening. You know when Avatar came out and there was those people who were depressed because they couldn't go to Pandora? Yes. 
I'm a little bit sad that Detective Pikachu's not real. I understand. You know I, I, mean? I understand. I understand. I was looking at my cat and I was like, "Man, I love my cat, but do you know what else I would love? A Pikachu. If Pikachu was real. <laughs> I can't wait. It looks so good. <laughs> and people who think it looks bad, let me tell you something. Oh. I love when things look ugly and gross. I love the Gremlins. <laughs> Those puppets are ugly and weird, and I love it. <laughs> Beetlejuice, with it, he would. Alec Baldwin stretches out his face, and it looks all weird. It's so weird. And guess what? The Pokemon look weird, too. But what do you think they would look like if Pokemon were real? They're not going to look like cartoons. They're going to like look like a weird pig circle. Okay. <laughs> I, I can see you feel very passionately about this. And I'm glad. I'm glad. that I've spent a lot of time these past few days thinking about P- Detective Pikachu and all the implications at play. And and to and to take a to take a a hint from you, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum about it. So, I'll just I'll, you know what I was kind of thinking about this to myself yesterday. There are there are two things about the recent <laughs> the recently released Detective Pikachu trailer that I'm not crazy about. But I also want to say that I think that the concept of it is really interesting. Um, when that Detective Pikachu game came out and like they are essentially doing the same story as in the game, I thought that that was kind of fun. Uh, I, I, I also think, hey, I think Pikachu's cute too. Uh, and I like the idea, there's a lot of shots in the trailer of like what life looks like if Pokemon were real. And I think that that's really cool. And it's obviously something that speaks to, to uh, people around our age group of like... Uh, when we were young, we wanted Pokemon to be real, and this is the closest it's ever been, and maybe ever will be, aside from like VR or Pokemon Go, for that matter. So I, like I say, I don't want to don't want to harsh anybody's buzz here, but it's just there are two things that are kind of keeping me from uh, going as all in as you. The first one is, as you mentioned, the look of the Pokemon. I've figured out what it is. It's because so when when we played the Pokemon game, right the the Pokemon and the people are both okay. game characters. So they're both animated. Right. In the Pokemon anime, the people and the Pokemon are both animated. They're both kind of on the same level. Now, with the movie... They're both the, real. <laughs> almost. The people, are, the people are real, but the... Pokemon are still like cartoony CGI. Like there's there's that divide, and of course it's unreasonable to expect this. Like oh, they made real Pokemon or something. So, like don't get me wrong. I know that what I'm expecting or what I would want is not feasible. But it's also just like my brain has a hard time of just like well that stuff's just not there. It's I have a hard time suspending my disbelief. Also, some of those Pokemon look really ugly, and it really turned me off. I I, I know that- I love how ugly they look. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I, I actually do agree, and I might be being a tad hyperbolic, um, and there are certainly things that I don't really like about the trailer. Ryan Reynolds just being Deadpool, but he's Pikachu, that's, is like the biggest thing that bugs me. That's the other thing. Uh, that's, that's like, it's like super annoying, but like, I'm just in love with the, I want the Pokemans to be real, Will. Also, if you're, if you think it's weird to see Pokemon next to real people, CGI Pokemon, Get ready for uh, the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog film in which real-life Jim Carrey will be talking to uh, Ben Schwartz as a CGI (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog, which I'm also extremely excited for. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I will follow up on that just very briefly. Uh, Yeah, that's the other thing is that, like, I feel like I would be in more if Detective Pikachu were more of a 
seemed like more of a character and less of a Ryan Reynolds joke machine, like his joke avatar of just like, here's Ryan Reynolds. He's not doing a voice. He's just doing the Deadpool jokey jokes. And yeah. I'm kind of tired. And I'm, I'm tired of that. Like, I really am. Like I saw Deadpool two this year, not crazy about it. And then it's just like, here's, I, d- here- I did not see Deadpool two Here's for that very reason. Here's more Ryan, Ryan Reynolds shtick. And I'm like, I would rather it be a, I, 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 I almost hate to be one of these people, but I would genuinely like it better if <laughs> Detective Pikachu was voiced by Danny DeVito, or like yeah. had that sort of like gruff Dennis Franz kind of quality to his voice. Like he, this, this just doesn't even seem like a character, unfortunately. So th- those are the two things that turn me off the most about it. I'll tell you what, though, I pledge to see this film in theaters. Uh, and if you do so as well, we definitely need to have an Elwood City Limits extra cast where we talk about what we thought of Detective Pikachu. Well, I suppose... It's a lot to ask of you. <laughs> you know what? I suppose if we got a certain amount of Patreon subscribers before Detective Pikachu, Pikachu comes out, what is it, next summer? Summer ni- 2019, baby. Mark your calendars. So by summer 2019, if we can get... Uh, let's say 15. If we can get 15 Patreon subscribers by summer 2019, fine. I'll go see Detective Pikachu, and we'll have a podcast about it. Woo! Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And now... Where were we? <laughs> we were at the petition. Uh, so DW has enough signatures, and she's going to send it in, and she imagines that she's actually busting Mary Mukau out of jail. And... The, there's a funny thing here where it's like Mary Mukau and her kids are all in jail, like the kids on her show. Yeah, I was going to mention that, that one, what is the relationship between Mary Mukau and all the kids on her show? Like, do they live with her? What's going on with that? And then two, why are they incarcerated? I guess that, I guess they just uh, go to go to uh, kids show jail when they're not on I know, TV. It's very funny. Arthur's like decked out at like an old timey prisoner, like he's in the Green Mile. And he delivers them the petition. Mary Mukau's like, give me your hands, boss. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so they, they Mary Mukau thinks of a song. She's just like, a petition. Here is a petition. Spell petition. And the kids are like, P-E-T, uh, something, something, something. And that's kind of the running joke. Also, there's a point here where they go up like another key higher. And it's clear that Mary Mukau's voice actor was having trouble hitting those high notes. And I felt really bad for them of just like, it sounded like it hurt Mary Mukau to do some of the higher notes at the end of this dream sequence. DW actually does get a letter back from the TV studio after she sends in her petition. Arthur correctly predicts that, uh, like even down to some of the syntax in the letter that it's just basically going to say, thank you for the petition, but we're not going to bring the show back on the air. But as a consolation, DW gets invited to the TV studio to see the set of Mary Mukau. She's getting a tour from like a st- uh, what would you, like a stage hand or like a s- floor director. Excuse me, looks like the floor yeah, director. Yeah, uh, production assistant. And she's getting a bunch of all this free stuff, and then she eventually has a crying fit because she realizes that Arthur is right. They're going to bring her all the way out there to tell her it's still canceled, and she doesn't even get to meet Mary because she thought maybe she could t- talk some sense into Mary Mukau about the show not being canceled. Uh, so she runs away and then eventually finds Mary Mukau's old dressing room, which we find out is being uh, co-opted by 
as DW calls her, the boring woman. The woman from the there's, stock, stock show. There's some crazy details about Mary Mukau's dressing room. For one, there's the cowskin rug and chair. For two, in Mary Mukau's, like, drawers, in her, like, makeup drawers, there's just, like, baskets full of cud. Yeah, she has, like, a box that says cud. It's like, um... <laughs> It's it's like her tobacco chew box or something. Maybe Mary Mookhouse, like uh, uh, Christian Bale, like it's, she's a method actor. Like she must be the cow. And she actually chews cut. <laughs> she's got she's got like a, uh, a a menthol not a menthol an Altoids box full of like grass. <laughs> exactly. Gross. Uh, and yeah, and then Patty Jones, the boring woman, walks in. Love the line delivery from the voice actor playing Patty Jones. Like, yeah, me too. Just a perfect, like, oh, I am a woman who delivers the stock market news. It's it's very well done. It's very, it, it, it's very, it's meant to be very monotone, but it's also like soothing kind of, mm. I found. And just very pleasant to listen to. And uh, she kind of gently explains to DW of just like, you know, she's like, where did you take Mary? Just like, I didn't take her anywhere. She just needed a change. And it's implied and it's implied through these lines. At least you can pick up as an adult, just like, oh, Patty Jones did was Mary Mukau. And in fact, it gets pretty much confirmed as uh, mom and dad read find DW. And then Patty Jones says, goodbye. I, I mean, goodbye. Like does it a little bit in the Mary Mukau voice and then uh, sing sings a little bit as DW walks away. And so DW kind of realizes that, oh, Patty Jones is Mary Mukau, which I was wondering. I s- almost didn't see coming, by the way. Like, I had it in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, so she's going to be in Mary Mukau's re- dressing room, and, like, Patty Jones walks in. But uh, I thought it was going to be, like, Patty Jones might take her to introduce her to Mary Mukau. Even me, an adult with an adult brain, they did a good job of not foreshadowing too much that Patty Jones was Mary Mukau. Um, and the, the, end, the, the end reveal... Of like Patty Jones sort of letting out the Mary Mukau voice. Even me, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and I wonder if it ruined DW's immersion with the show at all. If she kind of puts it together that like, "Oh, that was Mary Mukau." So like, uh, we already established that even in her imagination, Mary Mukau has like seams and stuff. So mm, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, at the end of the episode here, DW eventually relents her three thirty time slot to Arthur so he can watch Dark Bunny because. She's finally able to move on with the the last of Mary Mukau. So Arthur goes to watch Dark Bunny, but it turns out that they that the they actually the TV studio has canceled Dark Bunny in order to air classic episodes of Mary Mukau. To which, as you said, the bookend here is that Arthur falls to the ground screaming and upsets his popcorn bowl. Like this is this is what a move this is. Oh my goodness. So we complained about the endings last week. There was some like unsatisfying conclusions in last week's episodes. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the most perfect book ended Arthur endings ever because this whole episode, like I was like, wow, like I was into it, but also I noticed that Arthur was being extra malicious in reveling in the demise of Mary Mukau. Like he was just like really rubbing it in DW's face this whole episode. And now I understand why it was so, they were justified in giving Arthur his just desserts as he realizes that not only is his favorite show now canceled, but it's been replaced by Mary Mukau. And we just like freeze frame on Arthur screaming in anguish. And it's like, what a great ending. What a hilarious episode. You know, I, w- I wasn't thinking about it that way, but it makes sense because he <laughs> totally gets his just desserts for how 
well, kind of kind of mean he was throughout the whole episode. <laughs> so it kind of serves it kind of serves him right. Although if you think about it, it's like canceling Batman the animated series for Barney reruns. Imagine, <laughs> man, that's that's rough. All right, so we're gonna get into this into the second half of our episode after a word from us. And now a word from me, Lucas Mancini of Elwood City Limits. Don't forget to chat with your Elwood City Limits pals on social media with facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits or at ECL Podcast on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com and an Instagram, at Elwood City Limits. If you want to send us a question, send us an email and get it read on the show at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can find the entire episode archive at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com or on your favorite podcast service. If we aren't on your preferred podcast app, let us know, and we'll do our best to get on it. Thanks, as always, for supporting us here at Elwood City Limits. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so let's get into the second half of this episode. It's a buster one, and it's called Bitsy's Bow. This is where I first learned the what the 2018 version of this episode would be called Bitsy's Bay. Bay. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very quick. Uh, this is where I first learned as a kid what bow meant. I had to look it up when I was watching this again. <laughs> so the cold open is about how close Buster and Bitsy are. And I like this. Uh, they have like a nice little handshake that they do when they see each other. Up high, down low, in the middle, and away we go. I thought that was cute. Uh, we get a really moment that uh, really hit me with uh, Bitsy and Buster going to see a movie together. I used to go see movies with my mom all the time. That's one of the things we shared. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's sweet. Also, when they're going to see the movie, if you look in the background, just because I paused this right now, I'm watching the episode again, you can still see 5,000 explosions and a supernova ever playing at the theater in Elwood City. It's, it's, it's like um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. It like never leaves theaters. Or like Titanic in its original run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's probably a closer example because they're both probably epics. Well, if there's ever an evergreen piece of film, it's probably 5,000 Explosions of a Supernova. I want the Criterion release of 5,000 yes. Explosions of a Supernova. <laughs> Werner Herzog's 5,000 Explosions <laughs> at a Supernova. The There are 5,000 Explosions, but... There is only one supernova, and the true the true supernova is in the darkness of a man's heart. <laughs> By the two hundred and seventy eighth explosion, I began to ponder whether or not I was still fit to be called a man in this in this world. Arthur, Arthur is an advoc himself, but he has a dog. Why? Must he be the mas- the terrible master of this beast when he himself is not a man? <laughs> oh, man, that's really funny. <laughs> oh, boy. I wonder what would, what would Werner Herzog think if we showed him... He sh- we showed him Arthur. Like, what? He'd be like, there are animals, but they, they wear clothes. Do- does that mean they feel shame? <laughs> Is, is that why they clove the the animal bodies? <laughs> why does the young man eat so much, yet he stays the same size? The, the, uh, the children, they do not age. <laughs> they, they, 
they are they are stuck to the due to their minds not grow uh, <laughs> the little girl is clearly the smartest on the show <laughs> <laughs> i would love to know are you kidding me i need this now <laughs> oh brother you've seen to bring it back to detective pikachu you've seen the article where the person introduced pokemon go to Werner Herzog. Um, I don't know if I have. You after this is done, that should be the first thing you do. I'm opening a tab because now. it it borderlines on parody, like like what we're saying right now. Like Werner Herzog's response to getting Pokemon explained to him is like insane. Okay, I have it open in a tab. I'm gonna look at it after this episode. He's like, where do the creatures? Why 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 must the creatures fight each other? <laughs> <laughs> classic herzog love that guy okay um we're so giddy today we're getting sidetracked a lot yeah it's so like you said buster going to the movies um we've got them kind of going to the supermarket and seeing like how how fast they can kind of get all their groceries together that reminded me of me and my mom we used to go grocery shopping all the time when i was younger so uh and especially as kind of showing the single parent lifestyle here with Buster resonated with me as well. But, or I, and I, and I also, I'm very glad even here, just here in the cold open, I'm glad we're getting kind of a deeper characterization of Bitsy. Cause if you remember back from the first season, she was kind of like always afraid. She was like kind of a germaphobe. She was afraid that. Buster- yeah. Like my, my memories of Bitsy from the first season is just like the episode where she won't let him go without the ridiculous bathing cap on and like all the like, Oh, Buster, you can't do this. Yeah, it's just kind of a lame one-note character, but now she seems more like a fleshed-out person, which I'm very uh, happy for. Uh, but th- uh, that all cha- may change when Buster meets Bitsy's boyfriend, who kind of appears in the cold open as like this shadowy rabbit in like a trench coat and like seven feet tall. <laughs> uh, the actual episode begins with uh, Bionic Bunny. Actually, Arthur and Buster are watching it simultaneously, uh, and Bionic Bunny encounters this little girl that he finds out is like an actually like a crab-shaped alien. And this, like, it's it, this transformation, like, it's a cartoon and it's like very cartoonish, so it's not that creepy. But when you think about what's happening, it's very like uh, the alien sort of like. The little girl t- grows an exoskeleton and, like, lobster claws, and she's got, like, goop dripping from her eye. Like, the way it's portrayed isn't that creepy, but, like, when you think about what's happening, it's like, ooh. And uh, this is also where I took note that uh, Bionic Bunny, it's the same voice actor who does Mr. Rapper, and I believe his name is Arthur Holden, I want to say. And his his voice as Bionic Bunny is very underrated. You hear it a lot here of just, like, he has to put a lot of flourish on what he says because it's the stereotypical, like, I'm the hero kind of thing. And it sounds like it takes quite a bit of effort to like put all that gusto into those lines. Uh, and Buster and Arthur, as they're watching the show, have this like alien detector toy. And it's like you press the button on it and then it supposedly determine, w- determines whether or not someone's an alien. And that's how they figure out that the little girl is indeed Kodo of the Crab Nebula. And I I will say they're also watching it. They're not in the same room. They're watching it on their own TVs, but they're on the phone with each other. And Buster gets call waiting, and he has to give the phone to his mother, who takes the phone into her room, and they miss the rest of the episode. Buster says later he apologizes. He says, like, my mom was on the phone, 
for like an hour with uh, somebody, and I don't know who it was. And she's like, she's been doing that a lot lately. Uh, and then Muffy kind of comes up, and she's just like, "Oh, this moment, the timing in this moment is so expert." So Muffy like slams shut her locker door. Like sh- you don't even realize Muffy's there, but she slams shut her locker door, and so then that's reveals of Muffy, and she just goes, "Boyfriend." And Buster's like, "No, my mom doesn't have a boyfriend." She's just like, "Did she? Did, has she gotten any uh, mysterious deliveries of flowers?" Which she has, and it's like t- t- every once in a while, does she look off into space and just go? <sighs> Buster's like, yeah, I guess once or twice. And M- Muffy's convinced it's a boyfriend. How does Muffy know this much about love? It's just one of her interests. I think she, like, reads a lot of, like, romantic fiction. Or, I don't know. It's just, I think Muffy is the right character to give this exposition, oh, sure. though, of all the kids. Yeah. I just I just kind of... Lo- Muffy or Fern, maybe, because per- Fern would have... Uh... Oh yeah, read some sort of poetry about love, though it doesn't seem like something that Fern would be that into, really. So I think Muffy is the right choice, yeah. and and she really makes it work. Like this is some great like delivery from Muffy, like explaining all this stuff, and Buster sort of cluelessly being like, "Yeah, I did that, but that doesn't necessarily mean." And then Muffy just like keeps laying on the things of like, "Well, does he do this? Does he do this?" Uh, we. We see that uh, Ratburn's handing back, I believe it's book reports, and Buster actually gets an A, and that makes him suspicious and eventually leads him to the idea that his mother is dating Mr. Ratburn. And this this part of the episode is excellent. I loved this. Yes. So it, what it is, it's Buster imagining like the various stages of the relationship between his mother and Mr. Ratburn. So the first one is all three of them at dinner, and Mr. Ratburn is just like, you, Buster, you can have the last slice of pie if you can guess the number I'm thinking of between 1 and 10. And it turns out he's actually thinking of the number pi. I might have said letter. I meant number. Uh, he's actually thinking of the number pi. And it's like he laughs really hard at his own joke. And then he, like, necks the last piece of pie. He just upturns it <laughs> into his mouth. It's so... And then the noises he makes while he's chewing, I can't explain it. But he's just like... Like, he's so pleased with himself. It's hilarious. There's a... there's a, That's one of two incredible pie, like, pie at the dinner table moments in this episode. Or, like, the two most, like, standout moments. Like, these pie set pieces. I, I love the pie humor. Um, we then get in the next scene, <laughs> it's time for the throwaway character of the week. <laughs> and that is, uh, marriage Elvis. Yes. The, it is the, now our, they apparently elope to Vegas and, uh, get this guy, uh, this Elvis impersonator to officiate their wedding. You know just one of the regular Arthur voice actors was like, oh, yeah, I got an Elvis impression impersonation. Yes. You want me to bust that one out? Big time. Because this is – they really go – there's some good impersonations in Arthur, but this is, like, above and beyond. Like, you could tell the voice actors having so much fun with this. Yes. I've heard worse Elvis impressions. This one's pretty good. Not the only celebrity impression in this episode, by the way. And then uh... – uh, Ratburn corrects him. Uh, he's like, "That's a run-on sentence. You should you should put some period, some commas in there to break it up," which I appreciate. And then the last one is uh, Buster's. Buster's delivery is just like, and then they'll have children. And 
what it, it's uh, it's like it's horrible in a way it's yeah it's like a, it is like a scene out of a gremlins movie like so they've had these kids and they're a mix mix of bitsy and mr rapper but they have mr rapper's face and the, the, so, what's hilarious is they also have the qualities of mr rapper and in that they're like uh i want to play algebra read me a book a really big book and they're all like grabbing at buster and they've all got these like they're in diapers so they're meant to be like little little children and they kind of look like kangaroos almost because it's like they look like mr ratburn if he had long ears like long bunny ears and they're just and they have these like teeth they're they all have like these full sets of teeth and it's really gross and yeah one of them's like read me a big book in french i forgot about that and they have all these awful (laughs) these awful voices and they're just they're not like caricatures they're not like meant to be disgusting or something but they just like the more you look at them the more unsettling they are and they're like pulling at buster and stuff like this and so it's kind of like our friends in the detective pikachu movie jigglypuff and and psyduck the more you look at them mr mime the more disgusted you become dude i implore you go to that trailer and pause it when it shows mr mime and then like zoom really close on mr mime's like skin because, like, you could see Mr. Bibe's pores. Oh. Like, you could see the little, like, tufts of old man hair on Mr. Bibe's head. Don't, like, don't it's worry, crazy. D- don't worry, dude. Twitter's already done that for me. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Ratburn walks by them, and Buster's, like, begging Arthur to do something. And he's just like, th- like, Arthur, you gotta get him. Like, you gotta t- convince him not to date my mom. Tell him my mother's ugly and crazy. <laughs> It's just, I love that line. He's just so desperate of just like what, what would steer him away. And then Arthur's like, did you know that, uh, uh, Buster's mom has a giant lizard that she feeds rats to or feeds mice to? And he's like, really? That's fascinating. And (laughs) (laughs) normally it would repel somebody else, but Ratburn finds it really interesting, which is a great touch. Well, he rules out Mr. Ratburn because he like goes to his mother's room and begs him not begs his mother not to marry yeah, Mr. Ratburn. We get a great delivery from Buster. He goes, "Please don't marry Mr. Ratburn, mom." And then she explains to him that she's uh not dating Mr. Ratburn, but she is dating a man named what's it? He's got a very regular Harry name, Mills. Henry Harry Mills. This is the the introduction of Harry Mills to the Arthur canon. He'll be back. Um yeah, so then Buster's like, who's Harry Mills? And he's like, apparently he's a sports writer for the newspaper and uh, tells Joe. He loves kids. And, yeah, and he uh, loves kids. Uh, and But Buster's still a little suspicious. We get the return here of Conspiracy Buster as he thinks that uh, he... He's like, that sounds good, almost too, too good. good. And so he thinks that Harry Mills may very well be an alien. And we get we get a few more like Buster imaginations here. One of them is that uh, Bitsy is dating this robot that looks like a like a like a bunny. Like he's got he just looks like a middle aged bunny. And then brings them a pie, and then presses a button on the center of the pie, which transports them to their spaceship. And then the robot turns into one of the crab aliens from Bionic Bunny. And I was just like, why does a robot need to turn into a crab? Uh, so this is the only thing I had remembered from this episode. Like, the imagery of the robot pressing the pie button, like, has stuck with me to this me day. Me too! And then, and then, like, there's the stuff with, like, the the crab people. She puts on a bib. Because, you know, when people go to, like, a crab, like, a seafood restaurant, they put a bib with a lobster on it on. She puts a bib with a human person on it. 
Because <laughs> she's going to eat the people. Yeah. I I also think about the pie with the button in the center of it from time to time. Like, that stuck with me, too. It, lo- it looks like a satisfying button press. Uh, so Buster's afraid that, of course, he's an alien and he's going to abduct them. Uh, but then the night of the dinner comes, he's got his alien detector armed and ready. But as he meets Harry at the door, Harry acts. Whoa, 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 whoa. We got to talk about how Buster proves that the alien detector works. Oh, right, yes. And that is, he's watching, do you want to be a millionaire? And he presses the alien detector on Regis Philbin, and it, like, goes off that he's an alien. And Buster takes that as confirmation that it's, like, a foolproof alien detector. He's like, of course, it works. A who wants to be a millionaire reference? We really are in the year 2000 in this one. Also, like, the one of the voice actors, much like someone was probably excited to bust out their Elvis impression, uh, someone else busts out their Regis impression to varying degrees of success, but I appreciated it nevertheless. So, yeah, a buster lets Harry in. Uh, Harry tells him a knock-knock joke and immediately gets on his good side. Accidentally breaks Buster's alien detector, so unfortunately the results will be inconclusive. But he's, uh, Harry seems to be doing pretty well. He t- uh, tells some jokes at dinner and... Uh, Buster really takes a shine to him. He accidentally puts his tie in the crab chowder, by the way. Uh, And that kind of has... Everybody gets a laugh from that one. Uh, And then he brings out the dessert that he brought with him, uh, which is also a pie. Buster, again, imagines that it's like some sort of alien horror that he's brought with him. But it's actually just Boston cream pie. Again, I gotta get me some Boston cream pie, son! I know, same. It's like, I, I, I just gotta know. I gotta know. Uh, but he seems to be pretty much on the level, and he sees that his mom is really happy uh, with him. He like she, she, he makes her laugh a lot, and she seems very happy. But then Buster gets a little bit sad, and we get a very nice scene here uh, where Bitsy's tucking Buster in, and, he, and essentially he's being very reserved at first about how he feels about Harry, and Bitsy takes that to mean that Buster didn't really like him. And she immediately is just like, well, I don't have to see him anymore if, if you don't like him. And Buster's like, no, no, I do like him. It's just that if you're going to, it just seems like you're going to be spending all of your time with Harry now. And then Bitsy con- convinces him like, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, she says, you're always going to be the most important person in my life. Oh, geez, I'm tearing up now. It's so, it's so, it's so nice. Like it's again, we've, yes, it is we, nice. we've talked in previous episodes about like the representation of Buster and his family unit as uh, representing single parents and uh, parents who you don't see all the time. And this was a very nice, it's, it felt very real uh, of like a child kind of seeing their parents in a new relationship and then thinking like, Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be their number one or I'm not going to see them as much, but this is very much convincing Buster that that's not going to be the case. It's great. No, this is, this is Arthur when it's trying to moralize at its best where, you know, this is something that could have, if done poorly, really gone into after school special territory, like some real like Degrassi junior high. Um, But as per usual, like when Arthur's tackling more sensitive topics like Buster's parents' divorce and and what it's like for your parents to start dating after they've they've gotten into divorce, it does it in the most eloquent and realistic way possible, um, and it doesn't uh, come off as overly sentimental or dumbed down. Uh, It comes off as real and genuine, uh, and it's, it's, it's tremendous in how it executes it well uh, as compared to some other shows meant for similar uh, age groups. Uh, it's one of those th- special things that makes Arthur 
you know, set itself apart from other kids shows for people of similar ages. Yeah, and I think it was handled really well. And this is pretty much the end of the episode here as um, we see that their Bitsy and Harry's relationship is still continuing and Buster's in on it too. He really like he he's really taken a shine to Harry and vice versa. And they're at a hockey game, uh, a local they're at, hockey game. A, it, it looks like it's a Boston Bruins game. Yeah, like the other the other team shirt logos and colors. It could be like a fake version of the Habs. It's kind of hard to tell. The other team logo is kind of nonsense. Yeah. But it sure does look like the Boston Bruins. Could this be another clue about Elwood City's location within Massachusetts or possibly New England? Uh, but it really, really does. It's the Boston Bruins colors, and it I think it's just a B logo. Yeah, it's like um, it, it looks like it might be a D. But like, uh, the, yeah, like the the Dawson Druins essentially. These are these are the Dawson. These are pretty much one to one. You're right. Good good eye, and and we see that Mr. Rapper's also a fan. He's got the giant inflatable finger, um, and he appears to talk about how uh, feeding you shouldn't feed rats to a large lizard. It makes them sluggish. Yeah, it's his casual wear. He's got on like a red sweater and like uh, 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 what, what what's his pants situation? He's got like on these green. Might be might be denim pants. I don't know, but it's just like oh, him like on green khakis. Yeah, his his his, uh, his sportswear, and then Buster and Harry whip out the alien detectors, and Harry's like, "Yep, definitely an alien," and they're clearly on each other's good side as the episode ends. So let's uh, let's take a let's take a look at everything as a whole. Uh, Lucas, what did you think of the last of Mary Mukau? I loved the last of Barry Bukow. I was laughing throughout the whole episode. Um, I was really got a kick out of Buster, like uh, not Buster, Arthur relishing in Mary Mukow's demise. That whole stuff with the LAS, uh, LAST is really fun. All the stuff in the movie studio is fun with like DW, like kind of freaking out. Um, all the Dark Bunny stuff is good, uh, and then the the jokes about the stock market and at three thirty p.m. Uh, DW talking about how she's going through a trauma. Uh, then there's the fundraiser segment. That's all, not the fundraiser, but the uh, the petition segment's all fun with the Mary Bukow kids being in jail. Uh, and I really liked the conclusion of the episode. Like I said before, it's bookended in a great way with Arthur getting his comeuppance and in an almost Twilight Zone-like twist of, but there was time now to watch Dark Bunny, except Dark <laughs> Bunny's canceled and he's forced to watch Mary Bukat. It's really the worst case scenario for Arthur. Uh, I don't know. I really got a big kick out of this episode, and I found it very funny throughout. I agree. I, I like this episode a lot, too. Um, it was interesting to kind of have the dynamic switched a little bit of, like, DW, the protagonist, and Arthur being very much her antagonist. And like you said, he kind of gets his, <coughs> excuse me, his comeuppance in the end, and it felt very earned and i felt that it kind of wrapped up really well i think it's just a very good complete package it's, it's kind of something that you don't really think even think to tackle in a kid's show of just like oh, a show being canceled and kind of how much that's true it's a it's another unique topic it's uh, uh that you don't see in other shows because uh, because often mary mukau is just like the butt of a joke it's just like well it's what dw watches so it's like kitty and saccharin and all this kind of stuff but no it's like dw really likes this tv show and it clearly means something to her that they don't even really get into all that much but they don't have to it's just like it's something that dw genuinely enjoys and like goes through as she she herself says some kind of some manner of trauma 
uh, and trying to process it not being there anymore. And but it's of course a lot lighter than that. I thought a lot of the the humor was good. The uh, the uh, the parts we see of Dark Bunny I think are inspired. I bet they had a lot of fun, kind of uh, doing a pastiche of Batman the animated series. I certainly liked seeing it. Uh, and yeah, I think it's, I, there's almost not a lot for me to say that you haven't already touched on other than, you know, it's a very solid, uh, fun episode with, uh, kind of a good ending. I'd say that personally of the two, I, I tend to swing towards Bitsy's bow a little bit more and I, like we kind of got into, and I feel like we've talked about quite a bit, uh, there are some things that when Arthur decides to kind of go a bit more towards moralizing, I guess for lack of a better word. Um, they tend to do, they tend to do very well. And I think that the situation with Buster's family is clearly one that they spend a lot of time on and they think through, they have thought through uh, thoroughly. And I think it really shows. I mean, like this is a really interesting way to approach a more common situation with uh, children of divorce, where it's like your parents, uh, start dating somebody else and kind of how that factors into your life. I feel like a lot of times we see that on TV, it's from the perspective of the parents and not so much from the children who have to uh, kind of get used to this new person in their life. And I thought this was a great way to approach it. It's it's really funny about how like Buster like goes through all his conspiracy theories and all of his like fears and then eventually ends up, it's, it feels really good when the end result is, oh, basically, Bitsy is dating a grown-up version of Buster, essentially, in the non-weird way. But uh, th- this guy who Buster really likes, and like it just kind of all's well that ends well in that sense. And I know that we're going to be seeing more of Harry uh, here and there from now on. I, I, I like him as a character. I think he uh, kind of came across very well. And yeah, I I really love this episode. It's I it's not difficult for me to say it's one of my favorite of the season. I tend to agree. It's also both of these episodes together are two of my favorites of the season thus far. Um, I think it's a really funny episode, and I think uh, sometimes I tend to check out with some of the more moralizing Arthur episodes. Uh, you know, it's a slippery slope because sometimes when they're you know telling lessons to kids, I'm an adult. So it's like, I've already learned this lesson, but this episode, like, walks that line perfectly where it's very sentimental and it's talking about a really applicable real-life situation, but it's also extremely funny. All of the things going on in Buster's head, like, all the fictional scenarios he comes up with from the aliens to the Mr. Rappern kids are all really, really funny. Um, and then there's just, like, great moments like, please don't marry Mr. Rappern's mom and and Mr. Rappern telling you know, wedding Elvis, not to use a run-on sentence, like, all Regis is an alien, there's a bunch of really great moments in this episode, and, much like the episode uh, before it, but for very different reasons, comes to a really, really good conclusion that leaves you feeling really satisfied, um, which could be hard, especially with some of the episodes we've been watching recently, so I really did appreciate uh, Bitsy's bow as well. Well, I'm glad that we finally, finally, I mean, I'm sure, I, I feel like it's probably happened in season five so far, but it's like this. Yeah, there's definitely one other episode I really liked in season yeah. five. I can't put my finger on it right now, but there was one I liked before, but, but this is the first both hitting it out of the park. Yeah, it's, and it, I mean, no matter what season we're in, it's always good to find one that, uh, this just a great one-two punch of an Arthur episode, and this is, this, uh, this definitely applies. Uh, so yeah, thank you everybody for joining us for this episode of Elwood City Limits. The end of season five creeps closer and closer, uh, before the end of the year, I dare say, knock on wood, that we'll be, uh, on to season six. 
and beyond. So uh, thank you again for uh, being here with us. Make sure to uh, rate and review wherever you find the podcast. We would really appreciate it. And let us know that you did. Uh, we may even read your review on the air. You can do that, uh, I know, for on Apple Podcasts. I think you may be able to do so on Google Play. And you can also do that on our Facebook as well. We've gotten a few five-star reviews there as well. Let us know what you think next on the next edition of elwood city limits we're going to be talking about just desserts and the big dig neither of these i remember i wonder if the big dig has to do with um dig the old lucas arts game i'm not familiar with that one all i know about it is uh one of the characters of monkey island they have a big pin that says ask me about dig <laughs> uh um, so it must, a true success then Uh, Well, until then, until we figure out exactly what's going on here on Arthur and for Elwood City Limits, my name is Will Young and for Lucas Mancini, go to the title card. We'll see you next time.